0: topic this morning is the word of the cross from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 to 31 and uh, let me lead us in prayer and pray that uh, God's spirit would be at work among us as we consider his word this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father we praise you because you are the sovereign Lord whose wisdom and power far exceeds ours. We pray now that as we consider the word of the cross that Through your spirit, you'll be powerfully at work among us, revealing your wisdom and saving us and transforming us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is no no such thing as a crossless Christianity. There is no such thing as a crossless Christianity The cross, of course, is the symbol of the Christian faith, and every church is decorated with crosses. Christians wear crosses around their neck at Easter. uh, We remember and celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross. Even non-Christians know that Christians care about the cross. And yet for all that, for many Christians, the cross is no longer actually the centrepiece of the Christian faith or the defining reality of their life Sure, short we believe in the cross no true Christian would deny that the cross is important but instead of preaching the crucified King and allowing the cross to shape our vision for the church and our priorities in life the cross is relegated to the sidelines the focus perhaps is on God's love or social justice or spiritual gifts or helping the poor or whatever it is not bad things But the cross is no longer the central thing. Perhaps it's because in the eyes of the world, the cross remains foolish and weak and even offensive. The cross speaks of our sin, which deserves the anger of God. The cross speaks of our inability to save ourselves. The cross calls us to a life of humble sacrifice. The cross humbles our pride. And so the temptation for all of us is to stop seeing the world through the lens of the cross and instead embrace a more palatable form of Christianity that is impressive and powerful, not weak and shameful, one that will be more attractive to our friends and to the world around us. And so we become Christians in name, but not in substance, because we've adopted a a crossless Christianity devoid of real power to save and to change. What place does the cross have in your Christianity? Is the cross the center of your faith or have you traded it for a more attractive form of Christianity? Well, we began to see last week that the uh, Corinthian church was a church uh, that had richly enjoyed the grace of God. They were enriched in Christ with all speech and knowledge. They were safe in Christ, assured of their eternal future. They had fellowship in Christ, and Paul reminded them that this was all a gift of God's grace, not because they were great, but because God was good. Because despite all God's gracious blessing on the Corinthian church, they were a church that was full of problems. Uh, They lived in a city that was rich and influential, full of powerful speakers and gifted leaders, and the pressure was ever so strong to adopt a form of Christianity that fit with the culture, one that was successful and strong, that emphasised wisdom and eloquence and power instead of the shame of the cross. And we saw last week that the results were disastrous. Uh, The church was deeply divided. As each uh, group uh, boasted of the wisdom and power of their favorite teacher. And we saw it wasn't just divisions, but there was a whole bunch of other problems to go with it. But that was not the main problem. The main problem was their worldliness. It was their failure to look at the world through the lens of the cross. They had traded the cross for worldly values of the surrounding culture to disastrous effect and by trading the gospel for for worldly wisdom and eloquent speech they were they were in danger of emptying the cross of its power and so in this passage this morning paul takes us again back to the gospel he reminds us what the cross is about so that we would be truly wise not fools and live our lives with the cross firmly in the center shaping all we do. Well, our first point this morning, the cross nullifies human wisdom. The cross nullifies human wisdom. And what we see here is that the cross redefines wisdom and folly, power and weakness. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, God's Word tells us there's only one division in our world that ultimately matters, and it's not our age or our race or our gender or our nationality or the language we speak or our denomination or anything else. It is how do you perceive the gospel? How do you view the cross? Is the cross foolishness or is the cross the power of God, the answer to that question determines whether we'll perish or we'll be saved. But the world's answer to that question is very clear, isn't it? To the world, the cross is folly. To an atheist like Richard Dawkins, the cross is irrational, intolerant, or even evil. He calls it cosmic child abuse. Uh, To the Muslim, uh, suggesting that the Son of God died on a cross is blasphemous, something that could never have happened. To the materialist, the idea of following a crucified king instead of living for your career or money or pleasure is simply absurd. And surely that is the reason why we're so afraid to share our faith with others, because uh, we don't expect our friends or family to hear us sharing the gospel and, and reply, oh, that's so wise. That's so beautiful, I'll become a Christian. No, we expect rejection, we expect mockery, we expect indifference. Because we know that in the eyes of our non-believing family and friends, following Jesus will be considered a betrayal of the family's gods. Distraction from what life is really about. Rejection of the religions around us. To the world, the cross is weak. And foolish they rejected and its messengers and so an embarrassment and shame we're tempted to be silent we're, we're, we're tempted to change the message to, to de-emphasize the cross so that it will be more acceptable to become a Christian but we shouldn't be surprised actually that to the world the cross is weak and foolish we're actually told in verse 19 that it was God's Deliberate plan, promised in the Scriptures, to bring down the wise of the world. Quoting Isaiah twenty nine fourteen, Paul writes in verse nineteen, "It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart." In, in Isaiah twenty nine, the leaders of Israel thought that through their uh, cunning political dealings and wisdom, they'd escape the impending military threat, which God had sent as judgment upon them. But in response, God declared through his prophet he would destroy their wisdom. He would bring it to nothing. And so he did. Their plans failed. God's judgment fell. But uh, Paul tells us here, God's dealings with Israel pointed forward to the day that God would shatter all human pretensions to strength and wisdom once and for all through the cross. It was God's deliberate choice to choose what seemed foolish in the world's eyes to save sinners like us. Because God knew, God designed it, that salvation would never be achieved through scientific investigation or philosophical reflection or or religious inventions. God designed it purposely that salvation would never be about our intelligence or how good our IQ is or how hardworking or religious or moral we are. God designed salvation to be by the cross because it would be folly to the world. To the world consumed by power, significance, greatness. The cross is weak, it's stupid. It's folly to the perishing. And it's God's deliberate plan. Paul drives home that point in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? By the wise here Paul has in mind uh, the great philosophical schools that were around Corinth, the Stoics and the Epicureans, and the Platonists and the Sophists. Don't worry if you don't know what they were. The, the, the Greeks were renowned for their pursuit of physio- philosophical systems that explained life and death and the universe and everything. In short, they sought wisdom. But through the cross, God nullified every alternative philosophy, every alternative worldview. He makes them nothing. He makes them folly. I mean, does, will communism ever lead you to the cross? Will materialism... Ever lead you to the cross? Will science ever lead you to the cross? Will atheism ever lead you to the cross? The answer every time is no. The cross nullifies all worldly philosophical reflection. The cross makes all world all alternative worldviews folly. And not just uh, the wise, but verse 24 mentions the scribe. They, uh, these were the Jewish leaders and experts of the law. But neither the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day or those that followed them had room in their minds for a crucified Messiah. It, it just didn't fit with their conception of religion as moral effort. And, and the same is true with all the great religions of this world, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and so on. None of those works based religions ever lead you to a crucified Christ? And finally, Paul mentions the debater. Where's the debater of this age? He means the orator with their rhetoric and eloquent words. or an emphasis on eloquence, impressive speech ever lead you to speak of the cross? Not at all. Whether secular or religious wisdom, God nullifies it all through the cross. How does he do that? Well, it's because, as we'll see in a moment, that the cross turns the world's value systems on its head. Uh, all that the world values, power and riches and approval and success and comfort and pleasure, all those are turned to nothing. And all that the world despises, weakness, poverty, shame, rejection, they're brought the top, if we want to see real wisdom, real power, consider what God has done through the cross, we make the wise of this world foolish by ensuring that salvation can only come by faith in the foolish cross. So I guess the question we need to ask then is if the world's wisdom has been overthrown by the cross, why do we keep bringing it into the church? And the problem is that, like the Corinthians, we still adopt worldly wisdom and values to win people to Christ, that we adopt a worldly message that we think will be more palatable to our hearers. We speak of God's love, but we don't speak of his anger on our sins we speak of God's blessing but not of our suffering and pain we speak of salvation by our works instead of faith in the crucified king we speak of religious pluralism where we always lead to God instead of Jesus being the only way to the father or, or we adopt worldly methods to win people to Christ uh, we, we try to make the, the, the message more attractive by advertising it with music and food, or we or, or invite the Christian politician or businessman or sportsman to share their faith, thinking that that will make it more credible. Or we hold big rallies with miracles, thinking if it's big and impressive, that'll bring people in. As if power and success and appealing to, to what the world values will ever bring real conversions. To Christ. It's foolishness. And yet we do it all the time. We need to ask. Where is our confidence? Do we really believe what Paul writes in verse 21? Since in the wisdom of God. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe. Do you believe? That the foolish cross alone is powerful to save. I think so, as so many church growth manuals suggest that if we want to grow the church, what we need to do is adopt certain management techniques or marketing practices or business strategies. Or if we adopt this course or that program or this discipleship course, we look for the, the, the silver bullet and it's suddenly going to make evangelism easy and bring staggering growth to the church, it's folly, isn't it? Because Paul reminds us here there's no shortcuts. The only way to save sinners and grow a church is to faithfully speak of the cross. So many churches ask, why are we not growing? And yet in church after church, sermon after sermon, the cross is absent. There's pop psychology, there's self-help, there's worldly pursuits. But the cross is toned down, or the cross is missing, or the cross is sidelined. But we should not be surprised if we do not preach the cross that people are not converted. We should not be surprised if it's full of problems and worldly values like the Corinthian church. The cross has nullified human wisdom. Well, Paul puts it more positively in point two the cross displays the wisdom and power of God. The cross displays the wisdom. And Power of God we already saw that in verse 18 the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved it is the power of God The cross is foolishness to the world, but it's actually powerful Now we probably expect here to say that the cross is not foolish, but it's wise That's not how he puts it here. Is it? He says the cross is powerful How is the cross the power of God well, I think it's because the cross not only overthrows the wisdom of the world, nullifying human wisdom, but it also at the same time saves those who believe. Look at verse 22. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The cross ran against everything that both the Jews and the Greeks stood for. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to come in power and glory and overthrow their enemies. They expected him to come with signs showing who he was. The last thing the Jews expected was a crucified Christ. That was a contradiction in terms, like frozen steam or something like that. How could the Messiah be be cursed by God, hung on a tree, crucified on a cross? To the Jew, the very idea was a stumbling block. It was the ultimate scandal. And it was no different for the Greeks. The Greeks exalted power and reason and majesty, They worshipped Caesars, not shameful, humiliated criminals. Whether to the religious or the secular, the idea of a crucified king was so preposterous, so irrational, so outright absurd that it was scorned by the world. The gospel to them sounded like the dangerous, deranged ramblings of eccentric maniacs. But here's Paul's point. Just because the world sees the cross as foolish does not mean that it is. The cross of Christ is in fact really, truly, if you've understood it, the power of God, the wisdom of God. The world has got its, its value system upside down. It values the great, the significant, the powerful. It exalts human achievement. It thinks that human wisdom will achieve it all. But the cross undermines all of that. It cuts down human pride by showing us that salvation can only come by kneeling in humility at the foot of a crucified king. The cross is the power of God. It saves sinners. The cross is the wisdom of God, thwarting the wise and the arrogant. How do you perceive the cross? Is the cross to you foolishness or wisdom? Is it weakness or power? I think uh, the answer to that question will be seen in our behaviour. And you know, when you're at work and your colleagues uh, mock you for being so stupid to believe in Jesus, how do you respond? Are you silent? Do you try and make things more palatable for them? Do you tell them of the cross? Are you sharing the gospel to your friends? Do you tell them, oh, come to church, there'll be nice food and fellowship? Or do you tell them the message of the cross? Or when a preacher speaks about sin and judgment, salvation only through a crucified king, are you happy? Or do you squirm in your seat, wishing they'd talk about something else? Uh, Questions like those, or others like them, reveal what's in our heart, whether we perceive the cross truly as wisdom or folly, power or weakness. Do you see, whether we see the cross as wisdom or folly will be seen in the life that we live. It will be seen in the kind of church that we choose to attend, the preachers that we look up to, our approach to evangelism, and so much more. How do you perceive the cross? Is it the foolishness of God, or the wisdom of God, weakness, or power Well, if the Corinthians understood these things, they would not have been proudly boasting about their leaders and their wisdom and their eloquence. They wouldn't have been dividing into factions about who was the best. They would instead have been glorifying God alone. We come now to our final point. The cross eliminates proud boasting. The cross eliminates proud boasting. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. God, it should have been obvious to the Corinthian church that it was not wisdom and eloquence and power that mattered to God. In the early church, who were the the first Christians? Uh, They they were mostly poor, weak, the nobodies. I think the same is true today. Most of the world's Christians are not the intellectual greats, are they? Most Christians live in some of the, the, the poorest nations of the world. But even if some of us, are powerful or wise in the world's eyes, and we're Christians. Well, let us remember, apart from Christ, spiritually speaking, we too were were poor and weak and helpless, dead in sin, headed for judgment. The fact that Christ had to go to a cross for us speaks of the desperation of our human state. What's God's purpose in choosing the weak, the nothings, the spiritually dead and bringing them to the cross. It's so that all proud boasting will be silenced. So that we'll recognise our utter dependence upon God for salvation and life. That it's all his work and we'll give him alone the glory. Let me put it this way. Why? Why? Are you a Christian why are you a Christian how did it come about what was the primary cause of it was it because of your superior intelligence you worked it out was it because of your superior morality you earned it was it because of your great importance you deserved it Look how verse 30 puts it. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why are you a Christian? You're a Christian because of God. You're a Christian because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross. You're a Christian because God opened up your blind eyes and softened your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian because God gave you righteousness and sanctification and redemption as a gift of his grace that you did not have in yourself. You're a Christian because of God and God alone. And if we understand this, that God works through the cross, then we will not think that we earned our way into God's kingdom or that we're superior to other Christians or we're, we're worthy in any way. Our boasting will be silenced and God alone will get the glory. Verse 31 puts it, As it is written, that the one who boasts in the Lord. The cross teaches us that we are nothing but desperate sinners who need the grace of God. That the cross teaches us that we're saved not by our merits but God's grace. The cross nullifies human wisdom, but the cross displays the wisdom and power of God that God alone may get the glory. Well, let's conclude. The Corinthians were divided because they had brought their worldly wisdom in the church. Instead of seeing the world through the lens of the cross, they were adopting worldly values, exalting power and eloquence, instead of boasting in the cross of Christ. And so Paul explains if we will be united as a church, we must view the world through the cross. We must cast aside worldly notions of wisdom and power. We must embrace the gospel of the crucified king, and we'll see more what that looks like in the following chapters. But for now, let me ask again, is the cross truly the center of your life? Is the cross truly the centre of your life? Is it your sole focus in life and ministry? Or have you adopted a crossless Christianity? Have you begun to embrace the world's values to make Christianity look more attractive, to make the gospel seem more palatable? Don't be a fool. Throw off worldly wisdom. Come again to the foot of the cross Be convinced the cross really is the power of God to save and transform. The cross really is the wisdom of God. And so don't be ashamed to speak of the cross boldly and clearly and to allow the cross to shape everything that we do. Let us come again to the foot of the cross and boast in Christ alone let pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross, weak, shamed, rejected. We thank you that he did it to save sinners like us. Lord, we're sorry that uh, so often we allow worldly wisdom Worldly values to come into the church and into our lives. Help us, Lord, to cast them aside, to never stop preaching the cross and living in the light of it. Thank you for the reminder that only the cross is the wisdom and power of God to save and to grow your church. Help us to hold fast.